Hello and welcome to another episode of the Indie Alternative Podcast. It's me, Chris. Um, another great episode today. It was an absolute delight to speak to James Walsh of the band Star Sailor. Um, James talks about the 20-year anniversary tour of Love Is Here, which he's just completed with the band. Um, he talks about his formative years, songwriting, um, what it was like you know, getting a deal and the music press at the time. And also talks a lot about you know songwriting process and what's coming up in the future on the horizon. Um, really candid and uh, an absolute pleasure to speak to. So I hope you really enjoy it. Just before we hit the interview, here's a reminder of all the ways you can support the podcast. So don't forget you can follow on social media and you can buy me a virtual coffee if you want to support financially. And if you haven't written a review or left a rating, that really, really helps. So if you can do that, that'll be ace. But as always, I need to stop waffling and play the interview. So here's James. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, James Walsh. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. I bet you're um, just sort of recovering from your sort of delayed tour, the, the 20 year anniversary tour of um, Love Is Here. How, how did it go for you? Um, it went great. Yeah, it was really good. It was uh, just a relief to to get through, get to the end of the tour without getting COVID, because <laughs> um, we did we didn't manage it uh, before Christmas. So yeah, I think um, in the end it was a the little kind of silver lining from that um, unfortunate period was we were able to put quite a few extra extra gigs in. So. Um, yeah, we ended up going up to Aberdeen and going to Coventry, which weren't on the original route. So that was uh, some good that came out of it in the end. You had to draft in some support from from you know uh, sort of bass uh, players to step in every now and again too. I was saying to my wife, "That's Andy Dunlop on the bass. Like, <laughs> What's he doing in Southampton?" Um, I was uh, surprised to see him. But um, how did that come about? Obviously, I know obviously. Uh, your your original bass player couldn't couldn't make some of the shows, but how do you go about drafting in people? Um, we've known Andy for years, and um, he's played guitar with us before. Oh. And in recent years, because our bass player goes off and plays with Spiritualize sometimes, so it's just a case of um, well, he's been away with them in America. And it's just the case of they kind of, they'd already organised his travel and his visas and everything, because obviously ours was a sort of a rescheduled tour. Mm. Um, So we just had to, uh, yeah, just find someone who we all knew and could rely on. And there's a couple of one-off gigs that he's missed as well, where we brought Andy in and... um, so it's not the first time he's played bass with us. Um, yeah. Well, that really would have been a, a baptism of fire. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he, he did a really good job. Yeah, it was seamless. I mean, he, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that album, um, you know, re-listening to it and just seeing you play it live again, it's just, it's kind of, for me, it's timeless and um, brings back so many amazing memories of, you know, uh, 20 years ago and starting in bands and being influenced by kind of what I guess we call the new acoustic movement or whatever you want to what kind of you know tag you want to give it but um 
how does it feel doing the album again from all the way through it like that? Have you done something similar to that, to that before? Yeah, just this, the gigs that we managed to get through before Christmas, before I came down with COVID and, mm. and the rest of the band as well. I always feel like the more kind of water goes under the bridge, the more you appreciate what's gone before. Mm. The only The only difficult part is... Those songs are quite tough to sing for a a forty two year old compared to a twenty year old. So <laughs> I was kind of cur- cursing my younger self when we had a five gigs on the run sort of run of dates, which was particularly uh, strenuous on the on the voice. There was a lot of honey and uh, licorice tea consumed to yeah. to get through those gigs. Um, but yeah, I feel like like Silence is Easy is quite a different album to Love Is Here because you tend to want to run up, almost sort of run in the opposite direction to what people have you you tagged as, mm. and then as time goes on, you sort of grow more appreciative of of um, that having a sound and having an identity and something that uh, maybe critics could use against you yeah is that is actually on the other side a massive strength so i think we we sort of more not so much this year but over time you kind of come to terms with that and um stop worrying so much about how cool you are and <laughs> how good or bad your reviews are and just think let's just try and do what we do naturally first and foremost and then see how far we can like when we're making new material just see how far we can push that but staying true to the the emotion and the kind of uh, the musicianship and the the style that we've um that everyone's sort of grown accustomed to yeah i think that was what the music industry from what I remember was sort of really um, missing at the time when bands like yourselves were emerging. It's like we were looking at an emotion, more emotional side and heart on the sleeve, you know, approach to lyrics and things. And it was almost like uh, we weren't, we were missing that after the, the, the sort of the Britpop years that kind of was so bright. And then we get this kind of, this other this other movement which seemed to just be just more you know introspective and reflective on everything and I mean were you conscious of everything that you were doing in terms of your sound or was it just stumbling across it sort of accidentally um that's a good question I think it was it was probably a bit of both I think more not so much in the songwriting as as the the delivery and the production I was listening to a lot of Jeff Buckley and Van Morrison and and trying to emulate them in the studio. Um, But the sound came together quite accidentally in a way because there would always be a a lead guitarist in the band Mm. Um, and I'd play acoustic. And then I don't know why we... We just could. We went through loads of lead guitarists who just never quite fit in with the band and never sort of lasted really. Yeah. And then 
one day we just decided to invite Barry, the the keyboard player, down, and I. It was just me, him, and um, Ben and Stell, who I've played with for years, and it just having that sort of difference with the interplay between the acoustic and the piano instead of a more typical rock sound was was what uh, brought something fresh and and maybe maybe kind of brought the songs to the fore so the the bad songs really stuck out like a sore thumb because mm. <laughs> they weren't drenched in and this this is sort of no disrespect to anyone because it, it's all we were all sort of part of the composition of those early songs when we when we did have guitars they weren't sort of drenched in riffs and kind of bombast it was like down to the bare bones so we we you could hear immediately this the songs like alcoholic and lullaby really stood up on their own and and sort of led us in that direction yeah i mean it's testament to kind of like the quality of those songs that you can still play them acoustically solo and they sound like that's how they're intended to be if that makes sense so they they stand up just as well in, in that way and i think that, that that's i think how the original sound worked so well yeah yeah i think um once yeah what once something works well like you say as a a solo acoustic thing or a solo or acoustic and piano then it it definitely makes ben the drummer and still the bass player it makes their job slightly harder but when when they do manage to come up with which which they do so often to be fair to them <laughs> when they do manage to come up with the right augmentation the right rhythm to back it up and make it a, a fuller sound then it's that's when it really it kind of takes it up a level how did you find your voice once you hear a star sailor song or once you hear a james walsh uh, james walsh song you, you you're instantly you know it's you was it easy to find yeah i guess uh i've always sang from an early age in church and in school before it was cool as well <laughs> like uh when I was growing up, people the people around me were much more into like happy hardcore DJs. <laughs> um, so what's what's it? There's some Gabba rave music and just oh. the maddest stuff. There wasn't any. This was like just before Britpop really came to life, and but I just always enjoyed it and. It kind of came naturally to me. There were times where I kind of wished I was better at football because that would have <laughs> made made me more popular at school. Right. Um, but in, in re- with retrospect, I'm glad that I wasn't, and <laughs> I managed to s- stick at the the singing. And yeah, I guess, I guess that that sort of head start of like singing once in Royal David City. At, kind of eight nine years old in the church nativity I think it was probably quite important when it came to singing in a band because it I sort of came with that discipline or that 
experience mm. al- already to to properly sing instead of so many singers in bands. Uh, yeah, it's like mates who get together and look at each other, going, "Who's going to be the singer?" It was. <laughs> yeah. um, we we all met at music college, so we were all um, passionate about what we what we did individually. Yeah. So it was no surprise to your parents and family then that you were pursuing this as a you know a full full on career. Yeah. To to be fair, like my my mum and dad have always been extremely supportive. There was definitely times where you thought, "Are you, are you sure <laughs> you can?" <laughs> You sure it, it is to be fair, it is a ridiculous thing to to try and tell your mum and dad like I'm I'm gonna be a famous musician. <laughs> I remember my dad bought me an acoustic guitar and said, Get out round the pubs and see if you can get some gigs singing covers almost like I'm happy to support your your ambitions and your you sort of wish to be this famous musician, but you need to find a more immediate <laughs> outlet for your for your talents because a record label might might not kind of come knocking on your door mm. um, immediately. And I remember doing that and dropping off demo tapes around Chorley, my local town, and. I think they pretty much all rejected this demo <laughs> and it had a lullaby and alcoholic on it. Oh, wow. So somewhere <laughs> somewhere <laughs> in a pub in Chorley is, is one of our earliest sort of versions of those songs. But then luckily it, it got into the hands of um, Jeff Barrett at Heavenly and Martin. I think Carl was there by that time. And they booked us to play at the social, mm. and that kind of got the the ball rolling. And uh, yeah, I'm one of the few people who like is adamant to their mum and dad that they're gonna be a successful musician, and it actually comes to light. Yeah, I mean, in those days, um, uh, often well, a common theme running through the guests that I speak to is that the enemy and um the power that they had you know to make and break artists and luckily i don't think that exists anymore I mean, how important was it to you at the time or did you did you pay any sort of attention to what the music press was saying and doing to be honest it was quite a big thing it was uh i used to buy the enemy every week and dream of being in it and um yeah like would send my I think it was in the Melody Maker. They, they had like a demo oh. section. Yeah, de- Ho- um, Holly's demo hell. I got in. My yeah. band was featured in that one week, Excellent. and uh, it wasn't a shit review. It was the weirdest thing. We ended up using it for all our flyers and promotional stuff for years because she was. Excellent. She's kind of slack. It was kind of like, um, oh, I can probably recite the whole review. <laughs> but it's one of those things where you kind of she's kind of said it's pretty run of the mill. But it ain't that bad for being kind of coffee coffee tables like music, <laughs> she called it. And um, I think she referenced like Elbow and yourselves and Coldplay and Keen and all the bands that we were trying to be like. She said these are like basically the exact same sound, but just not that shit. Not as shit as you might expect. 
<laughs> we dined on it for for years and years. Um, but but yeah, that walking home every Wednesday with with both both of them, whether the melody maker was around under each arm and just drawing yeah. through it, and they were a big thing, weren't they? Yeah, it was, it was a dream to get the cover of the enemy, which we managed to do twice over the years. Then you kind of bristle at the bad reviews as well. Yeah. So it was, uh, yeah. Oh no, we didn't. We, to be fair, we didn't actually get that many bad reviews. So much as sli- snide uh, comments every now and again. There was a maybe because some of the journalists were so kind of gushing in their praise that that bristled with some of the some of the other ones. They thought we'll we'll kind of keep their feet on the ground by yeah. giving them a good slag in every now and again. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a shame. But I mean, obviously, you look we you know you look back at um, that okay, that era in your career and think, okay, well, you you couldn't have got to that stage without the support. And if you've got to take it hand in hand, it sort of goes together, doesn't it? That they, they will they will make you, and they they're quite prepared to break you if they feel that it's necessary. But it's it's I imagine it could be quite a shock. I mean, lots of bands had it yeah. a lot worse, I think, probably. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but yes, I still look back with, with fondness at, the, at those times where, and like you say, say we do kind of owe them a, a sort of debt of thanks for, and Steve Lamack at Radio 1 as well, when, when, when he kind of, uh, and Joe Wiley, when they were doing the evening session, mm. When they sort of get put their weight behind you, it's it's a really influential thing, and it's a thing that's that's much much easier to to deal with when you as you get older. That thing of being the flavour of the month, or even flavour of the year, mm-hmm. or a couple of years, or whatever, and then and then the the inevitable just new batch of bands and musicians who come and take your place in a way you're much more philosophical about it and grateful that 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 I think what it comes down to is like that platform is is the sort of jump off point to give you your career and to give you these fans who are still there long after the the hype has died down but when you're young there's a part of you that thinks you're going to be on that platform forever and it's, it just doesn't. It happens for so few artists yeah. that they stay. Yeah, I guess like the U twos and the Coldplay's and the the killers of this world who are just every album is a new event. Everyone else is is just uh, yeah, like I say, so beloved by their by their fans and just grateful to to still to still have a career in music you've been so busy i mean uh, as a solo artist in writing and recording consistently is it six solo albums and and eps yes something like that or at least five (laughs) i was going to ask you about your songwriting and how you approach these sort of things because obviously it's it's evolved over the years i mean do you come at these albums conceptually or are you kind of um are you constantly writing and then put things together that maybe fit a certain type of like in 
uh, album, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think more the latter. I try mm. and I've had a bit of a break recently because I've just got back off tour and don't want to be singing every day. We've we've got another gig in Denmark next week, but when I've not been busy with the band, I try and write every day, and then there tends to be a a pattern of songs that kind of fit together. I'll write 20 songs for a 10 track album and work out which, which, which songs kind of live in the same world. Mm. Yeah. Just spruce, try and spruce them up a little bit as best I can. Um, are you thinking of arrangements the, as you go as well? Or are you kind of, is that, does that come later in the process? Yeah. Some of the songs uh, come sort of already arranged like it's particularly the very I've quite a lot of very short songs but then the the longer ones the ones that or the more developed songs I kind of have to listen to a few times and then occasionally I'll be out walking and re-listening to stuff and realize it's the wrong tempo or I need to bring it up a key or down a key and things like that mm. what would you say was the best sort of time writing wise for you is it like are you a night owl writing or is it something that you get up and discipline yourself to do in the mornings a bit of both really i do i do tend to do quite a bit of i've done quite a bit of writing at night recently um because we've got a relatively new baby in the house and my girlfriend works during the day. So if I'm not busy myself, I take Cherry to the park and try and keep her entertained for the... Her mum's got a meeting or a like a Zoom or whatever, or she's got work to do. So then as soon as she goes to sleep, I'll sit with an acoustic guitar and be as quiet as I can. <laughs> And uh, yeah, just get some, get those initial ideas down, and then wait for the opportunity to to be able to develop them and and sing out instead of. I remember watching a documentary about the band, and Robbie Robertson was saying that he wrote the night he drove old Dixie down, yeah, when he had a new baby in the house, so. He was singing this, what what's become this huge kind of anthem that Leave on Hell kind of used to belt out. It started life as this uh, tiny kind of delicate little lullaby that he was um, trying desperately to write, finish this song that he was so excited by, but not wake the baby. <laughs> <laughs> I can definitely em- emphasise with that. Yeah, God. I mean, I think I pretty much gave up playing guitar um, for eight years, probably longer than that. Um, but it's, it's it's one of those things, isn't it, where you, I think as soon as you start to see live music again, or if you get back into that world where you've got, I suppose, you know, if you're not playing professionally, it is, um, and you start hearing it and seeing other people play it, it's such a, well, it's such an invigorating thing. I was surprised how sort of... Um, drawn to it after such a long time and just think i just want to even if it's playing stuff that you've not played for years or even it is a cover version it's it's such a yeah 
it's, it's good for the mental health as much as anything else. Yeah, definitely. And I, I feel like having a baby as well, and um, I've got older children too, it definitely can make you more productive and practical. Um, like, okay, this is the window that I've got to yes. to do something. So you, I don't know, luckily, obviously get writer's block every now and again, but luckily most times that, that um, having that sort of deadline is, is quite useful instead of having all the time in the world to worry about what I'm going to do. Are you looking around all the time, kind of lyrical inspiration? I mean, it's, it's I find that the most um, difficult part of songwriting is just thinking of anything meaningful to say. And, and how much are you drawing on sort of everyday life? Um, quite a lot, really. The only thing I find difficult is just trying not to go over old ground or, or to find new ways of essentially saying the same thing mm. um but with slightly different imagery or symbolism or whatever because the the things that you're so passionate about like your family and kids and your partner and the ups and downs of being a musician and good times and the struggles or whatever it's they're very sort of powerful draws as a songwriter that that's it's hard to try and get away from that and to keep writing about that. So mm. you, most of the time I just give into it and <laughs> mm. like I say, try, try and make sure if a song, if one or two songs are essentially about the same thing, at least make the, deliver the message slightly differently and make the, the, the music different. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of, a lot of songs I've definitely written in recent years have been about rebuilding and uh, rejuvenation because that's kind of what everyone's trying to do now with the, apart from a, a very fortunate few, is what everyone's trying to do after the, the pandemic and how that particularly hit the music industry. But a lot of people and industries are, were pretty hard hit. So it's like, mm -hmm. How do we dig our heels in and yeah, look to the future and, and rebuild and try and thrive eventually? Yeah. And so in terms of like um, a, a band recording, is there any kind of ideas to get together and do another Star Sailor album in the future? Yeah, yeah. We're, um, we're getting together in a few weeks when we get back from Denmark. We're going to get together in a room and um, start bashing out some ideas i'll go to the band with some ideas and uh because that next year's the 20th anniversary of silence is easy yeah so we're we're hoping to have a new album together as well so we've got a, a busy year in prospect yeah new album and and silence is easy so uh wow yeah and are the guys in the band um how honest are they when you come up with stuff and are they <laughs> are they are they go along with it because obviously you know when you you present it with something that you've been working on are they honest and open obviously i'm guessing they are otherwise you wouldn't still be together as an original 
outfit. <laughs> but I mean, how honest are they with you? Um, pretty honest, really. It's more it's more subtle than than just um, like you what you don't necessarily turn around and go, "This is shit," or <laughs> "What <laughs> what are you doing?" You can just tell that the songs that they're and they always go to the effort of coming up with something for it for anything that I present. Mm. But you can just tell the songs and the ideas that they're more excited by and and want to go back to. So they they just sort of, like I say, kind of subtly push <laughs> push certain things aside that maybe um it's it's usually something that I agree with deep down as well as rarely. Yeah. And there's always my solo my solo stuff as well if I was particularly passionate about a song that they they didn't really understand or or understand the appeal of then yeah I can work it for my my solo album so it's it's good to have that outlet and it does it does feel like there's a I'm starting to get to know which which songs kind of suit the band and which songs are, are more introspective and more suited to a, a very stripped down arrangement and a solo album yeah are you going to be touring the the the, the album again that the like the next 20, 20 sort of year anniversary album um hopefully yeah yeah oh. we're um we're just the the new album and the uh, silence is easy oh. anniversary we're, we're just working it all out now and, and seeing what what uh what the possibilities are but uh oh. yeah i don't i don't think um i don't think i'm revealing anything to what's the word exclusive exclusive <laughs> yeah or yeah it's fairly it's yeah it's fairly obvious that that's, <laughs> that's what what we'd be doing i think um, i remember i remember there's definitely a time maybe a decade ago where it was deemed as like a bit of naff or a bit of a sellout to kind of push anniversaries. But I think the the dwindling <laughs> state of the music business and also the, the, the appeal of nostalgia that seems to just grown and grown, mm. it's kind of put pay to that really. And there's very few bands that, that won't sort of go ahead with a, a yeah, and it's, well, you, I think it's become it's it was probably just a snobbishness before anyway. It's like people like the Love Is Here shows. People came and and really enjoyed it, and and it kind of took them back to that era. And and they came to the they came to the gigs kind of knowing what they were getting, and I think that's quite a that's quite a big thing when. You get so many people who go and watch bands and go, oh, well, they didn't play this song or that song, and I'm I'm really disappointed. It's like everyone came to those shows because they love the album, and yeah, we we played it in its entirety. Yeah, it was definitely the audience was definitely there for it. Um, well, James, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for speaking to me. I'll, I'll let you go and get some well-earned rest before you you know set off again. <laughs> Um, no problem and uh hopefully well like i say really looking forward to hearing new stuff and uh any new recordings to do with the band as well 
Excellent. Good to chat to you.